Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 45. Thanks for listening, or I should say perhaps trying to listen as you fight to stay awake, being as you're all sleepy from the tryptophan in the turkey that you've been gorging yourself on since the Thanksgiving holiday, which is in the books now, and sad to say it's time for all of us to roll our bloated carcasses back to work wring the remaining dregs of wine and beer out of our ties and our socks. Hey, you party how you want to party, I'll party how I want to party. And get back to business. Business including video games. In news this week, you know what? News is kind of depressing lately, given current world events. So I'm just going to skip the news. Nothing to report about the Atari movie. Just enjoying life as much as humanly possible. So let's move right into this week's game. This week's game is Towering Inferno from U.S. Games, 1982. You may recall we did Firefighter back in episode 20, so this is our second foray into the world of firefighting games, taking a break from the space operas and the random anthropomorphic animal games to revisit a staple of movies and TV, the firefighter, in the form of a video game. Some of you may remember... Uh, particularly you older listeners, and let's be honest, most of us are older listeners, shall we say. In the early 70s, there was a movie called The Towering Inferno. The manual and the stuff I've looked at about the Atari game Towering Inferno doesn't explicitly come out and say that it is an adaptation of that movie, but I guess I kind of assume it is. The Towering Inferno movie was a 1974 American disaster film. There was a whole trend of disaster-related movies. There was this one, there was um, Airport 79, I think it was called, where Disaster in Airport. I think there was another one set on a plane. Of course, there was the very legendary Farrelly Brothers comedies Airplane and Airplane 2, which were spoofs of the sort of disaster movie genre. And Towering Inferno was one of the first, maybe the first, of this sort of genre of film. The movie had a, a big-time all-star cast. Paul Newman was in it, Steve McQueen was in it, John Gillerman which I'm probably not saying correctly, directed it. It was a co-production between 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers, the first film to be a joint venture by two major Hollywood studios. It was adapted actually from a couple of books, The Tower by Richard Martin Stern and The Glass Inferno by Thomas Scortia and Frank M. Robeson. I haven't read either of those books. To be honest, I'm not sure that I've seen the movie. I think I've seen clips from the movie, but I've never watched the whole thing. If anyone listening has seen the movie and can give me a sort of mini-review and maybe let me know if it's worth my time, let me know. The film was a big success, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, and was the highest grossing film released in 1974. As I said, it got a nomination for Best Picture. It was nominated for seven other Oscars, too, and won three Oscars. I mentioned Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Cast also included William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire, guessing he sang in the fire hose water or something? I don't know. Susan Blakely, Richard Chamberlain, O.J. Simpson, Robert Vaughn. I'm guessing O.J. Not available for the Towering Inferno remake, which is inevitable because Hollywood remakes everything. Robert Vaughn. He actually just passed away recently, I think. Robert Wagner, Susan Flannery, Gregory Sierra, Dabney Coleman, who's always awesome, and in her final film, Jennifer Jones. In the movie, I won't give you the whole plot here, but basically, architect... Doug Roberts, which I believe is the Paul Newman character, returns to San Francisco for the dedication of the Glass Tower, which he designed for owner James Duncan. It's 138 stories tall, making it the world's tallest building. 
There are some offices on the lower floors and apartments starting on the 80th floor. And the building is supposed to be a self-contained place where people can both work and live. An electrical short starts an undetected fire on the 81st floor. There's some bickering between the architect and the electrical engineer over how this could have happened. I suppose there's a little bit of fiddling while Rome burns kind of thing going on there. Public relations chief Dan Bigelow turns on the exterior lights to impress the guests. The lighting overloads the electrical system and Roberts orders it shut off. There's smoke on the 81st floor. The fire department shows up. Roberts and engineer Will Giddings, who I guess is the... He's may, maybe that's the Steve McQueen character? They report the fire to the fire department and they don't evacuate the building for some reason. The firefighters don't know how to fight this thing because, like I said, this is the tallest building in the world. Fire gets out of control. Mike O'Halloran, the fire chief, that's actually the Steve McQueen character, I think. He, you know, says we're going to evacuate this place. There's all sorts of drama related to evacuating the people in this building, the fight in the fire. They come up with this plan to explode a water tank on top of the building to put out the fire. A bunch of people get killed, and then I guess the movie kind of, the fire just kind of goes out. Oh, okay. I guess they manage to blow the water tanks. Spoiler. They blow the huge water tanks on top of the building, puts out the fire. Everybody's sad because a bunch of people died. And there's some discussion at the end of the movie, I'm assuming, because they didn't know how else to end the thing, where they talked about, well, you know, should we tear the building down? Should we just leave it there as a reminder? As a kind of shrine to all the BS in the world. Informing Roberts that the casualty toll numbered less than 200, O'Halloran says they were lucky. Roberts agrees to consult fire officials in the future when such buildings are designed. O'Halloran drives away, exhausted. That's how the little summary ends. End of the movie. Alright, so that is the movie, The Towering Inferno. 1974. Go check that out. This week's episode sponsored by Netflix. So, what about the game, Towering Inferno? When you open the cover of the instruction manual, you're met with two exclamation points and a warning, all in red. Code red, emergency. The downtown skyscraper has burst into flames and only you can rescue the helpless hundreds trapped within. Quickly helicopter to the scene and dispatch your men to battle the deadly flames. How many survivors can you save? Play Towering Inferno and find out. Towering Inferno is a one- or two-player full-color action-packed game with seven variations designed for play on the Atari Video Computer System or Sears Video Arcade. Your mission is to rescue as many people as possible from the Towering Inferno in order to score as many points as possible. There are nine buildings with nine floors, each with a different floor plan, so you have lots of work to do. Four survivors are trapped on every floor. As the clock ticks, they dwindle to three, then two, then one, until no one is left to save. Each survivor is worth 25 points. You also score points by extinguishing the flames. One point is scored for each flame. The flames, however, are deadly and must be avoided at all costs. If a flame touches one of your firemen, he perishes, and is replaced by another fireman, if any remain. You are given four firemen per floor. If you successfully complete a floor, you and your survivors will helicopter to safety, and the computer automatically advances you to the next floor until the entire building is saved. When you complete a building, the computer will advance you to the first floor of the next inferno until all nine buildings are saved. But beware, it's going to take lots of practice to get through all nine buildings. What kind of hellish existence is that? Right? You're rolling to Shane, just reliving your life over and over again. Right? You put out one fire and, damn it, suddenly you're at another fire. Man. Karma. To put out the flames, simply take aim and depress the red fire button. Your supply of water is limitless, so don't be stingy. Some flames are harder to douse than others, and you'll find that they need an extra squirt before they go out. I think I mentioned in my field report that... You also have a water pressure problem in that you have perhaps an unlimited supply of water, but it don't shoot very far. So that adds, I guess, an extra layer of challenge. There are two kinds of flames. A flameoid, which I'm guessing is a highly technical term, 
and a wall of fire. I fell in to a flaming wall of fire. Wait, that's not right. I don't know. I'm not a huge Donnie Cash expert. A wall of fire is especially tricky because, when squirted, it breaks into smaller flamoids, which still have to be extinguished before safe passage is possible. I guess that's like the meteor meteorite thing, right? It's a meteor in space, and then when it hits the Earth's atmosphere, it becomes a meteorite, basically. Something like that. Anyway, to rescue the survivors, when you begin a floor, there are four survivors hi hiding behind the white window at the top of the screen. To save the survivors, maneuver your fireman from the bottom of the screen to the white window at the top, depress your fire button to make the pickup, then flee as quickly as you can through the right passageway at the bottom of the screen. I think that actually confused me in the field report. I knew that breaking the window was a big deal, but you don't actually then see the survivors, so I kept trying to figure out, well, which of these flames are actually survivors, and what was the point of breaking the window and all that, so I guess I get it now. Sometimes it helps if you read the manual before you actually play the game, but, you know, where's the fun in that? A helicopter will automatically return you and your passengers to the ground where they safely disembark. If your fireman comes into contact with a flame and perishes, the next one automatically appears on the bottom of the screen, ready to do battle. You'll also notice that the escape passage is always blocked until you've picked up the survivors. There's no coward's way out in Towering Inferno. That's a good message for life, too, kids. There's no coward's way out! Yeah. Any of you have children? Drill that into their heads. Cowards are wussies. As time passes, fewer and fewer survivors remain. Just before each one perishes, the survivor display at the top of the screen begins to blink. When the last survivor is about to go, he lets you know with a loud, obnoxious warning beep. So I say, let him crash, to borrow a line from airplane. This is your signal to escape as fast as possible before all is lost. You've successfully completed a floor when, one, you've escaped with one or more survivors, two, you've doused all the flames on the floor. In this case, the clock stops running and no more survivors perish. Stay at your leisure. You know, hang around, have a snack, watch some TV. I don't know, uh, take a nap, whatever. Upon successful completion of a floor, you and your survivors helicopter to safety, and the computer automatically advances you to the next level. Position A is the hard level. Flames are invisible within the wall, so you don't know where they might be hiding. Position 2 is easy. Flames are visible through the wall, so you can anticipate the movement. Note, it is impossible to extinguish a flame, visible or not, if it appears within a wall. Well, that's kind of crappy. They should give you an axe so you can break open the wall. That would be awesome. Axes always add an extra level of fun. That's another lesson you can drill into your kids. Don't be cowards and always carry an axe. There are seven game variations. The first three are one-player games. Games four through seven are two-player games. Basically, it just comes down to the variations between the games. Sort of, as you go from level to level, it kind of affects where you start basically, I guess, is, is how the games are actually different. They're all same, basically the same premise. Put out the flames, rescue the survivors, that kind of thing. The Towering Inferno game was written for the 2600 by Tom Sloper and Paul Newell, released by U.S. Games in 1982. As I said, the player controls a fireman going through a burning skyscraper to save victims and put out fires. Towering Inferno was reviewed in Video Magazine in its Arcade Alley column, where it was described as above-average, enjoyable characters, refreshing change from shoot and shoot and shoot. Other reviewers basically talked about how they also liked that it was not a violent game, and nobody has to get shot. But, some reviewers thought that the game was a little too repetitive, which is true, but honestly, that can be said for a lot of Atari games. And that doesn't necessarily make them bad games, sometimes the repetition is actually kind of fun. So, I think after the break, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack, jump over the raging, hungry flames licking at your heels. That'll teach you to mess with fire, Jack.
Over there! It's a big fire spraying out everywhere, flames licking the sky. They called it an inferno. Looks to me more like an outferno. Am I right? So, a while back on the show I did Firefighter. And I don't think I gave it necessarily a great review. Uh, I thought it looked good, but the gameplay was pretty cumbersome with the, uh, somehow making the joystick controls complicated, which doesn't seem possible. The gameplay for this one, much simpler. Walk and shoot. Uh, of course you're not shooting, you're sprinting. I just broke a window, apparently, which I guess is good. Um, it's a little frustrating that you can only spray your water up and down, not sideways. And I gotta be honest, these flames look a lot more to me like the business end of a plastic fork. So it's kind of just making me hungry more than anything else. Now I'm gonna leave this floor because I guess I'm done. Now the helicopter's landing on the floor. I either just torpedoed a gas station or I discharged my survivors. I can't tell what are flames and what are survivors. Um, I am enjoying playing this game. Uh, of course, the graphics are limited. You know, early 80s. You know, this is a build, a floor of a skyscraper only because the manual told me it was. It doesn't really look like anything. Um, there's no defining features. Just stuff you have to walk around. But, you know, whatever. Uh, it is a, it's a challenge. I'm on my last guy now, as a matter of fact. There are a ton of flames. Um, your hose has a water pressure problem, too, because you really can't spray your water very far. Also, I'm not sure what any of this has to do with the movie Towering Inferno, other than the name. Ooh, I better flee, I guess. Oh, that's it. I, apparently I perished in the flames. Perhaps I will be like the phoenix. Rise from the ashes. We turn to you in the form of a podcaster. We shall see. Back to you in the studio. Remember Backdraft? And that other movie that wasn't Backdraft but really wanted to be? I think it was called Ladder 49 or something. I've never really been a firefighter movie kind of guy. TV's tried to do firefighter TV series now and then for years as well. And I don't get into those either. The movies and the TV shows are always the same. Loner, drunk, bad boy, firefighter has some sort of domestic troubles at home. Somebody dies, and the hero, the flawed firefighter hero, feels guilty about it and is on a quest to redeem himself or herself, usually himself. Pretty predictable story. There's always a fire that rages out of control that nobody knows how to put out except for this one dude, and he has to risk his life, and somebody always dies, and there's always the fire chief that says, Don't be crazy! Or whatever. Pretty predictable stuff. So, that said, and then we've got The Towering Inferno, which, oh, I forgot to mention, another disaster movie that I actually really liked. The Poseidon Adventure, not the remake. That was dumb. The original Poseidon Adventure with uh, Gene Hackman and Shelley Winters and Red Buttons, of all people. Uh, an awesome 1970s movie with lots of bad hair and turtlenecks. Go check that out. But Towering Inferno is kind of in that camp. Lots of big stars crawling through through rubble and wreckage 
and giving speeches right before they get killed. Good stuff. So we've got that. Towering Inferno, the game, doesn't seem to be a direct adaptation of the movie, but I have to think it's somewhat inspired by it. I don't think the story is trying to recreate the story of Towering Inferno movie, so I'm not going to suggest that. Instead, I've got my own thoughts about what the Towering Inferno is. So, kids, gather around, get your blankie, get your cup of milk. It's time for Uncle Bill's story time. So get comfy. Today's story is The Little Inferno That Couldn't Tower Over Anyone. Once upon a time, all the little infernos were playing in the charred remains of a once vibrant urban area. They were eager little flames, working hard at inferno games, so that one day they could rise above the candles and campfires to reduce huge edifices to smoldering rubble. But over in the corner, all by itself in a smoky little cloud of despair, sat the littlest inferno. He was sad, because all the other infernos teased him mercilessly. You'll never tower over so much as a blade of grass, they said. You're not hot enough to roast a marshmallow. You couldn't give anyone a sunburn. That last one didn't make sense, of course, because really the infernos were flames, not gaseous burning stars orbiting the planet. But bullies are kind of stupid, and insults hurt, even if they're dumb. Then one day, old man random disasters came down from the frigid mountains to the north, where he'd fled after recent elections went exactly the way that random disasters wanted them to. And before long, he showed up in Inferno Town. He looked a lot like anti-establishment actor Steve McQueen. Born March 24, 1930, Terrence Stephen McQueen in Beech Grove, Indiana. Died November 7, 1980 at age 50 in Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico. Died from malignant mesothelioma. Active as an actor from 1953 to 1980. Married three times. Called the King of Cool and had an anti-hero persona. Developed at the height of the counterculture of the 1960s. Top box office draw of the 1960s and 70s. Academy Award nomination for The Sand Pebbles. Also in popular films like The Cincinnati Kid, The Thomas Crown Affair, Bullet, The Getaway, and Papillon, as well as the all-star ensemble films The Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape, and The Towering Inferno. In 1974, he became the highest-paid movie star in the world, but then he didn't act again in films for four years. He was combative with directors and producers, but really, really popular, so people put up with his crap. Back to the story. Old Man Random Disasters said, Earthquakes and plagues are fine, I guess. I even kind of like a good tsunami, but I'm old, and I'm tired and cold. Won't somebody please make me a good raging conflagration to warm my bones and my heart? Well, this is the climax, by the way. Well, those inf little infernos scramble to impress old man random disasters. Kenny Inferno tried a shower of sparks that stacked on top of one another to form a column of flame. Random disasters, though, just yawned. Fanny Flame whipped up a firestorm that was so intense, the little snack-sized Pringles cups in Esther Wyndham's cabinet six miles away melted. But random disasters just shrugged. Nothing was impressing him. One by one, the Infernos failed to make him smile. Finally, the littlest Inferno stepped shakily into the middle of the crowd, flickering in the fading daily light with fear. He looked around slowly, thought of taking a deep breath, then quickly decided not to because, you know, oxygen and fire don't mix. The littlest inferno gritted his teeth and squeezed out a candle flame. Also a hot fart. Nerves, you know. What would old man random disasters think? The infernos braced for the worst. 
old man random disaster scowled. A deep, deep, aggressive scowl. Then he laughed. It had been so long since anyone in Inferno Land had heard the sound. He was proud of the littlest Inferno for trying his best. The other Infernos crowded around and wrapped the littlest Inferno in a great big smoke hug. Here comes the big ending. And then... Whoomp! A mountain-sized bucket of sand landed on the Infernos, smothering them all. To this day, the former Inferno Land echoes with laughter. Turns out, not all disasters are random. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can get Atari Bytes episodes at Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, iTunes, and many other places. Did I just say iTunes? As in iClaudius? Well, whatever. You know what iTunes is. Uh, so go check it out. And while you're there, light a fire under iTunes and leave a scorching hot review of this show. Thank you. The ointment is in the mail. You can find show notes at ataribytes.libson.com. You can email ataribytes at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the Atari Bytes page on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, A-T-A-R-I-B-Y-T-E-S, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can support the show financially by visiting our Atari Bytes Patreon page, which I hope you will really consider doing, um, and by shopping at our Zazzle.com store. Thanks for all of that, by the way. And don't forget, on the 15th of every month, you can get a new episode of my other show, It's Podcast, Charlie Brown, a celebration of all things animated, Charlie Brown, and Snoopy. And, this being the holiday season, I would remind you, if you're so inclined, do please check out my novel that I wrote several years ago. And you can order anywhere you like to get your books. It's called In the Saint Nick of Time. It's a Santa Claus story for adults. So, take a look. And uh, if you do check it out, please leave a review on Amazon or wherever you get the book. It makes me feel good. It helps other people decide whether they might like the book. And it's just a nice thing to do when you buy something. And also, after you do that, drop me a line here and let me know what you thought. I'd be really curious. Next week on Atari Bytes, we go back to another classic. Space Invaders. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.